Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear sinners, justified by the blood of Christ. When we were on our trip last month, Charlene and I stopped after dinner at an ice cream shop. It was late and everything was closing, so we understood that it would be good to get our treats and go. But it still took us a really long time to be on our way. The problem was that this was an unfamiliar shop with unfamiliar options. And everyone we tasted, and there were a lot, tasted delicious. We had a wonderful freedom to choose and any choice would have been good. But with so many choices before us, that freedom became almost oppressive, and we struggled to make a decision. Lots of choices can be trouble the other way, too. Imagine you're a young man who has been dating a young woman for a few, only a few months, but her birthday is coming up soon. You know she wants jewelry, but also that she is very particular about what she wears. You want to make a great impression with your choice, but you don't yet know her that well, and you certainly don't know jewelry. And so what happens when you walk into Jared's or Macy's with piece after piece after piece in display case after display case? You freeze. You tremble. Maybe you even turn around and head for the chocolate shop instead. Because there are just so many choices in front of you. And you have no idea which is the right choice. You are highly motivated to purchase the perfect piece of jewelry as her present. But highly skeptical that you'll make the right decision. So as anti-consumer, as it may sound, we often find that we are happiest and feel freest when our choices are more limited. You want this flavor or that flavor? You want the necklace or the earrings? Keep us happy by keeping it to just two or three. How do you want your steak? Rare? Medium? or well done? Do you want your sub toasted or not? Do you want your chicken sandwich grilled or fried? Shall date night this week be movie or a dinner? Or do you want your new appliance with a warranty or without? Do you want to watch TV or read a book? Our gospel today presents decisions that disciples, or at least would-be disciples, have to make. It's not suggesting that we get to choose whether to be saved or not. That's entirely God's work. But it has to do with the choices we make after we have heard his call to faith. Let's listen again to Mark 8, 31 to 38. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law, be killed, and after three days rise again. He was speaking plainly to them. 
Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And After turning around and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have your mind set on the things of God, but the things of men. He called the crowd and his disciples together and said to them, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. After all, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? In fact, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, nowhere there do we hear Jesus saying, hey guys, you have to make a choice. But we can condense his rebuke to Peter, his statements about following him and losing and saving life, and his rhetorical questions about one's soul into a, a single challenge set before anyone and everyone who claims association with him. How do you want your Christianity? And he makes it simple by giving it really only two options. Do you want your faith with cross or without? It is quite clear what kind of faith and relationship Peter thought was best. Immediately before this, he had made his great confession. When, when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? He had answered for all the disciples, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter saw Jesus as the Messiah that, that he and all Israel had been waiting centuries for. And he was quite pleased to be at his side as one of his most devoted and vocal disciples. What exactly this meant for the future, he didn't know. But he wasn't sure. It involved nothing but good things for him and for his master. Sure, no one was treating Jesus as the king of the Jews just yet. But that would come. And with that, influence, honor, power, glory, maybe even riches. And certainly some of that would be shared with the men who, like Peter, had been by Jesus' side from the beginning. It had to be so. He was the Christ. And so things could only get better from here on. So when Jesus began telling his disciples that instead his future involved, no, required suffering, rejection, and death, somehow the resurrection thing always escaped their attention. Well, Peter, no doubt feeling emboldened by the praise he had just received for his clear confession of faith, Peter took Jesus aside to tell him, no, 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 not that faith, not that path, not that relationship, no bad stuff, only good stuff from now on. No cross for you, Jesus. No, 
Never. It was his choice. It was the wrong choice. And his master let him know that in no uncertain terms. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus called him Satan because he was doing the devil's work. He was repeating one of the temptations presented in the wilderness when when the tempter offered Jesus a quicker and easier way to glory and praise as king over all the world. But the way of Christ, the son of the living God, would not be quick or easy and could not be any way other than the one that Jesus had just outlined for them. And that's why he said that he must suffer many things, be rejected, and be killed. This was not simply because it was according to the plan God had made for him. This was because it was the only way. Because the problem that needed solving was not a lack of appreciation for God's Son, but the deserved death and damnation of all the people in the world because of their sin. And it was God's will to solve that problem because he loves the world he created despite our rejection of him and because we could never save ourselves. No works we do and no sacrifices we offer could ever remove the guilt and stain of our sins. And so there is no way that we could ever, on our own, present ourselves as perfect and holy in his sight and and escape the everlasting punishment in hell that, that even one act of sin or one imperfection earned us. So God himself provided the way. He sent his Son to be our substitute. He would obey his Father's will perfectly in our place. And he would suffer his father's righteous wrath undeservedly in our place. As the Son of God, his sacrifice, his suffering and death on the cross would be able, would be potent enough to count for all sinners. But he had to be a man like us in order to suffer and to die. The pain and blood and dishonor and killing could not be left out or avoided, or the sacrifice would be insufficient. Our salvation, the world's salvation, required the life and blood of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And even if Peter disapproved, that was the path the Son of Man was going to follow. He had in mind the things of God. And he wants all his disciples to have in mind the things of God also. That's why he called everyone together after this and made clear the choice that lay before them and lies before us still. The way of the cross or the way without the cross? How do you want your Christianity? 
Just as Peter wanted a crossless Christ, so many today want a crossless Christianity. That has always been an attraction. In fact, that desire is, is built into us because of our sinful natures. We, we, we don't want discipleship with a cost. We want what feels good, what causes us the least trouble, what brings us the most satisfaction or pleasure. But our modern, western, consumer society has probably amplified these natural tendencies and temptations so that more and more we think that we have more and more choices than we really do. Society sells us on the idea that we can follow Jesus and have sexual relations with people we're not married to. That's a choice we can make, maybe even should make. False teachers convince us that, that we follow Jesus by seeking success and prosperity, and that if we're not rich and happy, then something's wrong with our faith, that these are the choices we make. Hip churches teach a faith that equates following Christ with having good feelings, and feel-good preachers present one that equates discipleship with ignoring doctrine and doing what you love that we should choose to be happy and conflict-free. And increasingly, the, the media and the academy favor a kind of Christian identity that is happy when others suffer or pay so that your idea of justice might be done and that society might be remade into whatever, whatever woke ideal is cool today. That regardless of what Scripture says, these are the choices we should make. Or maybe, maybe it's just much more personal and individual. You want a Christianity that only asks of you what you feel like doing. You want to be a disciple who cheers on others who carry crosses, but never takes up one of your own. You want to shout, I follow Jesus on the streets or on your t-shirt or on social media, but don't want to actually listen to what he says and apply it to your life. You think you have all these choices. The old, stuffy, strict Christianity and all these different, more attractive and flexible Christianities custom-designed for your desires. But when it comes down to it, it is really only two choices. Gain salvation or gain the world. Serve your Savior or serve your sin. Cross or no cross. The choice is there, but there is only one right and good decision. The one that follows Jesus on his terms, on his path to his heaven. And that way is not always going to be pleasant. It is not always going to be comfortable. It will involve suffering, not despite your status as God's child, but because of that status. Following Jesus requires standing clearly apart from, not with this adulterous and sinful generation. 
It means recognizing that we will have trouble in this world because it is a sinful world. And as new creations in Christ, we don't belong in it any longer. It means recognizing that perfection and glory and bliss are not going to be ours entirely until we enter paradise for eternity. Just as Christ our Savior suffered in this life, so we, his disciples, will suffer. Some more than others, some less. God knows how much we can handle and what is best for our souls and will give us no more than we can bear, but trouble will come. And we are happy to choose the way of the cross. Not just because it is what our Savior deems best for us, not just because it's what God planned for us, but because the alternative is not the way of joy and fulfillment, but the way of destruction and shame. Prioritize your desires for your life, and you will lose it in the end, because you have let go of Christ in order to do so. Gain the world, and you will lose your soul. Because there is no room in the heart for both the world and Jesus. Be ashamed of the gospel's exclusive claimed salvation, or of the old-fashioned standards of the Ten Commandments, or, or of the too strict or intolerant doctrines of Scripture. And by that shame, you show yourselves ashamed of Christ himself. And on the last day, he will be ashamed of you. The day when you need him most as your advocate and righteousness before his father's throne. Toasted, grilled, or fried, it'll all be the same for you. But, but when we decide to be true disciples and embrace the precious cross that our loving Lord entrusts to us, we save our lives by losing them to him. That's what it means to have faith. We put our trust for everything in his grace, in his power, his wisdom, his mercy, his love. And that total, complete reliance is rewarded with forgiveness of our sins, salvation, an eternal life in heaven. By choosing the cross instead of pleasant, present pleasure or glory, we gain a perfect paradise forever in place of his, this corrupted world today. So it is really no hard decision at all, is it? Not anymore. The way Jesus lays it out for us only a fool would follow his or her own desires or, or the allure of the world instead of God's plan, priorities, and promises. It is the way to peace with God, the way to stand in grace, the way to rejoicing on the basis of our hope for the glory of God. We endure patiently and without shame, because this is what God's love accomplishes in our hearts. 
our hope and our endurance and our steadfastness in living the lives that, that we are called to by Christ and by the entirety of his teaching will not be rare or even medium, but well done. We want our Christianity exactly as our Lord presents it to us, exactly as it needs to be, with cross, with our minds set on the things of God. Amen. Please rise. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.